Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. Yeah, and with that, if you have any questions that you want answered, um, not only just about the Bible Reading Plan, I think that's a common misconception, um, just about, you know, the the stuff we're going over, any questions that might even be related to the things that we're reading. We want to hear your questions. uh, So you can email us at info at grove.church, info at grove.church. But with that, we are so excited for today. And Evan, take us away. Take us away. So we are smack in the middle of Leviticus this week. Thank you. That was a great sound effect. It wasn't a sound effect. It was me clapping. And by, I guess by in the middle, I mean like we're actually finishing up Leviticus this week. So next week we'll be starting Numbers. Uh, this week we've got, I think we have one chapter of Le- Leviticus coming next week. So we're just going to kind of wrap it all up this week. But one thing I want to talk about before we wrap it up is Leviticus chapter 16. And specifically what it's talking about is the Day of Atonement. Now, if you have any, Jew- any Jewish friends, uh, particularly those in the Orthodox community, this is what's called Yom Kippur. And it's actually one of the holiest days on the Jewish calendar, and it's still celebrated today by many Jewish communities. On this day, the high priest, uh, who in uh, Leviticus is Aaron, would make two sacrifices, one for himself and his own sins, which we see is, is the bull, and then one for the sins of the people of Israel, which would be a goat. He would cast lots between two goats and choose one to sacrifice and one to let go. Michael Jordan and Tom Brady, the two goats. The two. Wow. That's probably not that though. (laughs) If you don't know what that means, because you might be thinking, what the heck is Connor talking about? Goat in the sports world is greatest of all time. Yeah. He is not sacrificing Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't mind if he sacrificed Tom. Anyway, so just kidding. Uh, Hate on greatness. (laughs) Happened to Jesus. So the the Day of Atonement or or Yom Kippur shows us in one holiday uh, the seriousness of sin and the faithful grace of God. And so the idea here is, you know, you have the two goats. One goat really does represent the penalty of sin, and it's a serious thing. The other goat, which, by the way, is where we get the term scapegoat. Uh, It's the goat that was not sacrificed. Yeah, fun fact. It's the goat that was not sacrificed um, also represents the mercy of God. Can you – I'm sorry. So there were two goats. Two goats. That were chosen and then one goat was chosen out of the two? Yeah. So it, okay. to walk through one more time because I, I get that this this is totally confusing. Uh, the high priest would make a sacrifice for himself and his own sins. With a bull? With a bull. And then two goats would be chosen. The priest would cast lots. One of those goats would be sacrificed uh, as a representation of forgiveness for the people's sins. The other mm-hmm. goat would be let go as a, into the wilderness. As, as a picture of God's grace. Yeah. Okay. And so I wanted to read actually uh, Leviticus 16 verses 29 through 34, because this is really uh, leading up to that. It's describing what is to be done on the day of atonement. And then this is really the section that talks about not just this one day, but in, perpetu- in perpetuity, here's how you celebrate this. And so it says this, starting in verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord for all of your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves in this statute forever. 
And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute to you, statute forever for you, that atonement may be made of the people of Israel once in a year because of their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. And so I, I, I did want to talk about thematically what this means in Leviticus, because Leviticus can get it can get pretty heavy. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in there about like, this is how you make this certain sacrifice. This is how you make this sacrifice. There's a lot of festivals and all these different things. And, and it can be confusing to, um, mm-hmm. to really understand what we're reading about. But what we get in the Day of Atonement is a beautiful picture of, in one part of it, sin is serious. Mm-hmm. God takes sin seriously. Um, and really the sacrificial sacrificial system shows us, especially today as modern readers looking back on it, um, how seriously God takes sin. This is not something to joke about necessarily. This is not um, something to take lightly. But but really the fact that sin has corrupted us so much, um, it grieves the heart of God. In the same breath and in the same holiday, we see also that God has mercy for us, that God loves us, um, that there is atonement for our sins. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure where in Romans it says this. I want to lean towards chapter 7, 8, or 9. I'll tell you what, while you're talking, I'll look it up and I'll see if yeah, you're correct. Yeah, just Paul talks about, uh, you know, shall we continue sinning because of God's grace? And he says, by no means. And really what I think this is a picture of uh, in today's society, um, man, we we serve a God who loves us and we serve a God who cares for us and he wants us to live in freedom, um, not necessarily freedom from any rules, but freedom from the things that afflict us. Um, but so often we kind of just, it's our fault. <laughs> Let's just put sure. it that way. It's our fault that we fall back into sin. Yeah. In Romans uh, 7, 7, so 7, seven right. yeah, yeah. your gut feeling was right. Um, it says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been if it, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Yeah. For I would not have known what it was to covet had the law not said, You shall not yeah. covet. What what do they say? This the the Ten Commandments or the, the law is a mirror. It's it's to it's to point out what is wrong in our life. And that's what I love about this. It's that in the midst of People sacrificing animals in in, in 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 the midst of this Old Testament, you know, Old Covenant is, is a word that we say, God's grace is so prevalent if you look for it. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think we've brought this up before on the podcast, but a really helpful analogy for me is that the law is um, like a diagnosis and the gospel is like a prognosis. Yeah. And so the, the law – and both are important. You know, it's uh, – I remember um, – uh, we 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 took a journey with my dad when when he had cancer a, f- a few years back, and the diagnosis was a huge bummer. But if it, if it wasn't for the diagnosis um, and really understanding, like here's how we can fight it, all those different things, we would never have been able to get to the prognosis of here's how we can beat it, yeah. here's what we can do um, before um, before we can appreciate the beauty of the gospel, we have to understand what we're coming out of. And it's kind of like, I, I, sorry, I keep saying analogies, but one of the ones I heard is that um, it's kind of like skipping to the very end of a movie every time you yeah. watch it. Like you, it's, it, the, you miss the best part of it. Yeah. The, the scene at the end 
of you know like think Braveheart, which is just one of my go to like favorite movies. But, I feel you know, like the, that's the movie we always quote on. It's here. a great, it's a great movie. But yeah, you know, the scene at the end where they're charging, you know, they're fighting for their freedom, they win all these different things. Like that, that spoilers that that doesn't mean as much uh, if, if you, you don't haven't watch seen Braveheart yet. That's true. It's not. It's not Evan's fault. But that, that doesn't. That yeah, that doesn't mean as much uh, if you don't watch the whole rest of the film. And in the same sense, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's like Jesus says: "Those who have been forgiven much, love much." Yeah. We don't understand how much we've been forgiven unless we really do wrestle with the law and, and our own sin. Yeah, and a rare C.S. Lewis quote by Connor O'Brien: He says, "How can you tell a line is straight if you don't have a crooked line to compare it to?" Sure. And I think it's so true that. The weight of Yom Kippur, which is the festival. I, I don't know if we said that yet. Yeah, the Day of Atonement. Yeah, the Yom Day Kippur. of Atonement. Um, it is so. It's so beautiful in the in the fact that we serve a God who was the straight line, and He gave us the straight line, and all of us are crooked lines. Mm-hmm. And how can we tell if we are crooked unless we have something? meaning Jesus in today's day and age to compare ourselves to. Yeah. And you know, it's not that God is making it impossible for us, but he really is just, he's giving us every chance to be as close to Jesus as possible. They call it uh sanctification. Every single day we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Yeah. And I think just to, just to wrap up Leviticus, um, a few things to keep in mind, like we were, like we've been talking about, um, Blood and sacrifice remind us of the seriousness of sin. And in fact, in Leviticus, uh, they are mentioned 88 times. Um, God, in, th- in the book of Leviticus and moving forward, is setting his people apart from other nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a similar way, we as Christians should be able to be distinguished from those around us because of how we act. And so, and this is kind of the idea, right? Because of the festivals, the different sacrifices, the way that people act, um, and really the um, the way that the Israelites were supposed to treat not only their neighbors, but also it talks about commonly sojourners, people who are traveling in into their country, people who maybe they don't know, that set them apart from the other nations. And, and, and really in the same way, we as Christians, because of how we act, because of the love that we show, um, because of the grace that we've been given, mm-hmm. we should also be able to be set apart from the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite preachers in today's day and age. He's he's a pastor in New York. His name's Chris Durso. I don't know if you've ever heard of Chris Durso. Uh-oh, I haven't actually. But uh, it's so funny you mentioned that because this morning he tweeted out, uh, it shouldn't be hard for people to figure out if you follow Jesus or not. <laughs> and what a slap in the face, like a wake-up call. It's like, dude, I'm so comfortable just showing up to the office and putting my work in that like sometimes I go like a week without being around unbelievers or, you know, whatever. Right. And so it's like, man – like, do people know just by the way I act if I am a Christ follower or not? Yeah, it's, it's something mm-hmm. that all of us need to wrestle with. And, and the last thing I want to say, Leviticus, before we, we move on to John, is the dominant theme of Leviticus is the holiness of God. Leviticus is a book that shows us how sinful we are and also how holy God is, which sets the stage perfectly for the Gospels and Jesus' place in the story. Yeah, and with that, we are going to be transitioning into the Gospel of John. Um, man, we, did we launch it last week or the week before? I believe it was two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. Huh, um, jinx. Jinx. I love Michael Keaton. <laughs> Anyways, nobody out there understands that. But, uh, John chapter 11 is where we're going to focus our time today. Um, I love this story. 
I think it's because I, I think this last season of my life, and I'll get into it a little bit, um, I just related so much to this story. And in John chapter 11, we see an interesting interaction between Jesus and uh, two of his close followers, uh, Mary and Martha. If you remember um, in a previous interaction between Mary and Martha and Jesus, um, Jesus goes over to their home for um, a meal, and we see Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is busy um, basically making sure everything is taken care of, the the house is clean, the food is getting prepped, all these things. And she was frustrated that Mary was just sitting around lounging and hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus basically is like, hey, like Mary's understood it. She knows what it's all about. It's not about – and he was trying to make a you know, a, a reference to it's not about doing all the right things. It's about being close to him. Mm-hmm. And we see this and this other interaction with with Jesus in the two. Um, and really what it comes down to is their brother Lazarus um, was dying. And John eleven fourteen, um, when when Jesus finds out that um, that Lazarus is dying, uh, John eleven fourteen, Jesus responds. He says, "This sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it." You see, he promises that Lazarus will not die, but he also insinuates that a miracle will happen through the sickness. And so after a bit, um, you know, we don't really know how long. We do know um, there's a phrase uh, later on where it says for four days. Um, We'll get into that. Uh, We don't really know how long it does take Jesus and his disciple to make their way back to Judea to see Lazarus. Um, And this this leads to a very real candid moment between Jesus and Martha. Lazarus's other sister, not Mary, but Martha. And she clearly is frustrated because she knew Jesus had already told um, the sisters that Jesus was going to uh, heal Lazarus or that he wasn't going to die. Um, And this is their interaction in in verses 17 through 33. It says this, on his arrival, meaning Jesus, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to com- uh, to comfort them in the loss of their brothers. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she sent she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So the one who was laying at the feet of Jesus is now staying back, separating herself from Jesus, but the one who originally was separating herself from Jesus, making sure all the things were done, is now going out to meet him. And it's a cool kind of character. We see this character arc of of Martha in this moment because I think for me, when I first read this, I, I sometimes forget the interaction and I think, oh, man, uh, Martha is going out to be frustrated because Jesus said that um, – Because you have this picture of Martha yeah, from the other story. Yeah, of Martha being kind of a, a you know busybody. I want to make sure everything's done. Type A personality sure. um, where I am a total type B personality, call me Mary, whatever. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting to see her response. Verse 21 says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is like such a crazy statement of like, Jesus, if you would have done something, like my brother would still be here. And if we end it right there, we think that Martha is actually frustrated. But look how she continues she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And even just the faith of the statement, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not. Like, we, we, like, we can read that very much like it's an accusatory, accusatory statement, which it is to a certain extent. But she realizes even in that moment 
that Jesus has power over life and death. Yeah, which is interesting because a lot of his disciples still didn't understand that. The disciples are pretty slow getting 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 that. Yeah. It takes them a while. And then Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, excuse me, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We see this second part of the story of a a sister who is mourning the death of her brother and instead of responding in faith, responds in frustration. And Jesus responds in in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. And I'm going to pause here a little bit and just kind of talk about my story for the last um, little over a year, about the last year and a half. Um, Me and my wife, Desiree, we have always wanted to be in ministry. And we were in California and we felt as though um, God was leading us away from the church that we were at. And we felt like there was a promise that God had had for us that was going to come to fruition if we stepped out in faith and we basically packed up everything, moved to Washington without a job. Like, by the way, that's not a solid idea when you're um, (laughs) not newly married, but you're not seasoned in in marriage. I mean, we were married for about two and a half years when this happened. And we were standing on the promise that we truly felt that God was leading us out of our position in California. But let me ask you this question. It's what do you do when the dream or even the promise that God has given you – it feels like it's dead. Like, I think that's a real question. What do you do when the thing that God has promised you that, that, you know, at your core, you know, like, God, you promised me that this was going to work out and it doesn't start to work out. When me and Desiree moved up, um, we thought it was going to be like a two month process of, Hey, let's figure it out. We might, you know, move somewhere else in the country, might stay in Washington. We don't really know. Maybe go back to California. We were really unsure. And so through this entire process, you know, there were moments where we were questioning, like, God, did we make the right call? You know, God, did we, did we do the right thing? God, we felt as though you were leading us up here. And now that we're up here, God, we're out of ministry. Like I was in ministry part time, but it wasn't the full time like I I had always dreamed of and always wanted. And and we were sitting down and we were just asking ourselves, man, did we miss it? Did we make a mistake? Did we um, do the wrong thing? And and I was sitting there. I was working in real estate, and I was a part time junior high pastor at the church I grew up in, and um, 
it wasn't just the fact that we were out of full-time ministry. I mean, like money was tight. We were trying to uh, still be married and um, we ultimately ended up moving in with my parents. And that's awesome for your marriage, by the way. And there were multiple times where we asked ourselves, God, why did you do this? God, if you would have just opened a door, we wouldn't have been in this situation. And it felt really like the promise that God made us died. And and I remember there were so many moments where I would actually go back to this story. And, and even in the Old Testament that we're um, hopefully going to get into, I'm not really sure. There's a story of this lady um, – and it's basically just the Shunammite woman and her son that she never even asked for that was promised of her ended up dying. And and it's the same thing. It's like, man, when the things that you didn't even ask, like, God, I didn't ask for you to move me out of California. And now that I do, I feel like the promise that you've given me has died. Like, man, what a tough situation. And, and you know, the, the moral of this story is that when I felt like things were di- dying, when, when, Mary and Martha felt like the promise that God had given her was dead. That's when things really start to come to life. And we continue in this in John chapter 11, verses 45 through 48 says this. Therefore, many uh, we we see <coughs> actually before that, we see that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, we, we, it, we see that it leads these people of Jesus uh, that, that were there witnessing this uh, to happen with Jesus. It's, we see that it leads them to actually going to the Sanhedrin. And this is where we see the plot to kill Jesus. Start to start to come up. Yeah, start to come up. And it says this in, in verses 45 through 48, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked how, or here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. What I love about this is Jesus knowing full well that this miracle was going to lead to the plot to kill him, he still did it. A miracle is what led to this. Jesus raising someone from the dead is what led to the plot to kill him. And I just hope that it's an encouragement in the midst of uh, questioning whether or not the things God have spoken to you, um, they might feel like it's it died. Can I just tell you from my own personal experience that you know, promises sometimes don't um, come through in our timeline, but they always come through in God's timeline. There were multiple other, just real quick, there were multiple other churches that we were interviewing at and things that we really felt like God maybe was opening a door. We still knew that, man, God, I don't think this is what you have for us. And ultimately that led us to the Grove Church where we love it here now. And that is a classic example of feeling like a promise has died, but really it wasn't dying. And Jesus even says, he says, Lazarus isn't dead. He's just sleeping. Maybe your promise is just sleeping. Yeah. And I think moving moving forward from there, we're running out of time a little bit, but Sorry. Uh, I want, oh, it's all good. It's a good story, man. Um, I want to jump into Psalm 12, which is the Psalm that we're reading this week. And it's a little bit unique among the Psalms that we've read because I don't think we've read uh, one of them yet, but it's actually a, a song of lament is what it's called. Or in other words, um, it's really a Psalm that is expressing the the sadness of the writer. It's a sad Psalm that mourns the fallen sinfulness of the world. And I think as um as Christians, there's a certain amount of 
appropriate grief that we should feel for the state of the world and the state of our hearts. Um, we long for perfect relationship with God, and one day we'll have it. But in the meantime, I I, I do think that there's there's a certain um, maturity to being able to look out and realizing that, that things aren't yet the way that they're that they're going to be. The things aren't yet the way that they're supposed to be. Um, and the thing I love about it is the psalm ends with the assurance that God will protect his people. Mm-hmm. And so it's really short, so I'm just going to read it really fast, and you'll see where this changes. It starts off, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And so it really is just to to wrap it up for this week. It's this picture of of realizing that, you know, the world is sinful. We're sinful. Mm -hmm. We're, We're broken. Things are not yet the way that they're supposed to be. But we do have the promise of God that He is with us, that even in the valley of of the shadow of death, that that He is with us. Yeah, I love it. And it's just such a good reminder for all of us that there are moments where it feels like the world is helpless. Mm -hmm. Um, But man, let's not give up hope that God has put us in whatever circumstance or situation so that we can shed His light to the people that need it. Yeah, and and, and the mature Christian view is, yeah, there is a certain amount of sadness realizing that things aren't yet the way that they're going to be, but uh, it is, it's not the mature Christian view to, to lose hope. Yeah. And that's never what we should do. No, I think that's great. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. We, we want to apologize for how long this podcast yeah, was. It's a little bit longer than most, but hey, you know, we had a good, we had a good talk. We talk yeah. about Braveheart. It's always fun. Yeah. Uh, but we are, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, uh, but we are not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website at grove.church. And uh, while you're there, whatever device that you're listening on, if you could do us a favor, just leave us a review. Uh, it really helps us get the show out there to more people and to uh, just create a bigger community of all of us together, reading the Bible um, and just being able to go through questions and things like that. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you all next week.